welcome to the worship service at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Hayward, California, a multicultural church in the San Francisco East Bay that worships on the Seventh-day Sabbath, Saturday. The ministry of the word by Pastor Paul Penno is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to forgive sin and save from sin by his cross and ministry as priest in the heavenly sanctuary the third angel's message in verity. Join us now as the service is in progress. Ring the bells. <laughs> well, there is a, a group of energetic young people, and thank you so much for that. Uh, we look forward to more in December. Mm -hmm. Well, we have an interesting subject to look at this morning. Don't give up on the church. You know, there are some people who think that the church is becoming Babylon. There are others that insist that the church is toast. It already is Babylon. There are even those who tell you that it's a sin to continue to send your tithes and your offerings to the organized church. We tell people... No, the troubles in the church are not a reason to leave it, not a reason to stop supporting it. The Bible has a very good reason for us to support the church, both with our volunteerism and our support and our love for Jesus. And we want to look at that this morning. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come and worship you today. We thank you for these avenues of, of uh, music and giving and testimony that we have heard. We do pray now that you will speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're so thankful that we have the prophetic books of Daniel and Revelation in the scriptures, aren't we? Because they really provide for us a roadmap for the climax of history in Revelation 12, in particular, where Alicia was reading from, we see the history of the true church and the identification of the remnant church in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. And through the ages, uh, the church, she's been symbolized as being a woman, and she's depicted here in Revelation 12 as passing through the horrors of 1,260 years of papal persecution and she emerges, as it were, from a tunnel. And now she is identified as that remnant in Revelation 12 and verse 17. The dragon was wroth, it says, or angry with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so we see that the 1,260 years of papal supremacy in the Dark Ages finally comes to an end in 1798, followed by the beginning of the time of the end, and then marks the first angel's message to come on the stage. It was marked by the preaching of William Miller and the 1844 movement, and we see then the great disappointment of those that anticipated Jesus' second coming when the majority were turning their backs on their faith following the disappointment 
and they returned back to the world. But there was a little remnant that would not give up their faith that Jesus was coming soon until they discovered the answer of the great disappointment and their perplexity was resolved when they saw in the date, the Day of Atonement, the truth of the cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary. And this little handful remained. They remained true to God. They remained not because they were convinced of the mathematics of the 2,300-year-day prophecy, but primarily because they had recognized what they knew was the true Holy Spirit working in the Second Advent movement. And I wish to suggest to you from the scriptures that the Seventh-day Adventist movement is a movement of the true outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The present truth of today, which was not applicable in the days of Elijah, who was a great reformer, or Jeremiah, the present truth today is the Day of Atonement ministry of Christ in the second apartment of the heavenly sanctuary. And for a century and three quarters, this church has been identified by divine inspiration as the Seventh-day Adventist denomination, which had its roots in the great disappointment of 1844 and the reformations that followed in succeeding decades until this church was formally organized in 1863. And throughout the years, Ellen White, in her long lifetime, she constantly identified the Seventh-day Adventist Church as being the remnant of prophecy. There in Revelation 17, verse 12. And yet, even in her day, folks, there were unfaithful pastors. And there were unfaithful leaders who taught error and even apostasy, whom she rebuked and she tried to correct them, and sometimes she even denounced them. The honor and the vindication of Christ requires that the Seventh-day Adventist Church triumph through repentance. And that's my bottom-line answer from the Scriptures. If, and we believe it is true, that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is the remnant of Bible prophecy, then the honor and the vindication of Christ and His gospel depends on the repentance and triumph of his people. It must take place through repentance, reformation, and revival. The the dragon is determined. Can't you see he is? He's determined that this isn't going to take place. He is determined there is not going to be repentance among his people, much less reformation and revival. One of his most successful techniques is to persuade sincere, honest people to leave the church and to declare it Babylon. This is just exactly what Satan wants. For if this psychological pressure succeeds, then the dragon hopes to claim the Seventh-day Adventist church as totally his. He wants to totally take it over. And he knows that the success of the divine plan of salvation will depend upon its final hour and the repentance of Laodicea, which is the seventh church of Revelation, 
and it is involved in the final divine success of the gospel in people's hearts. And since this special ministry, the ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, is to prepare a people for translation at the coming of Christ, we can expect it that the dragon is going to do everything possible in making an effort to defeat this message and this people because he knows that the success of the entire plan of salvation depends upon its final hour. And we are living in the woman's final hour. There are none of our beloved dead who have believed in the gospel and been laid to rest. There are none of them that can be resurrected until Jesus comes. Amen? And Jesus cannot return until his living people are ready for his return. And so the reason is that Jesus is just caught in a dilemma. Jesus is caught in a dilemma. On the one hand, if he never returns, he can never take his people to himself Because, you know, this popular doctrine of the immortality of the soul is absolutely false. It's dead wrong. You do not go to heaven when you die. That is not how Jesus can take the dead to heaven. People do not go to heaven when they die. They must await the resurrection. And on the other hand, if Jesus returns before he has a living people who are ready to be translated they're going to be incinerated by his holy presence when he returns. And he cannot resurrect the dead until a living remnant are ready for his coming without seeing death. Satan knows that the stakes are extremely high, and therefore he is making a last-ditch stand on this issue of what is the true church and what is the preparation for the end in Jesus' second coming. And we can expect that he will exert massive efforts to, in two uh, simultaneous movements, first of all, to intimidate people, to confuse those who choose to be loyal to Christ, and secondly, to deceive them with a very cleverly designed counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. And there is a counterfeit Holy Spirit that is pervasive. The Seventh-day Adventist Church was founded upon a recognition of the true Holy Spirit. The Seventh-day Adventist Church was founded not upon the mathematics of the time prophecies. It was not even founded primarily upon the Sabbath, the Seventh-day Sabbath truth, or upon the doctrine of the state of the dead, but upon something that is far deeper and more significant. This church was founded upon a recognition of the true Holy Spirit in contrast to the counterfeit Holy Spirit. You nail it down. The true Holy Spirit versus the false Holy Spirit. And ever since that initial revelation in 1844, the Lord has been leading this church step by step. And the practical results of the cleansing of the sanctuary became evident In the early years following 1844, as 
those early pioneer people began to keep the seventh-day Sabbath. See, that came after their understanding of the sanctuary. And as the people began to keep the Sabbath, they began to accept the understanding of the nature of man. Then the Lord brought to them the knowledge of health reform, dressing healthfully, spiritual victories were won, the agency of the spirit of prophecy was an important unifying factor. People were beginning to get ready for the coming of the Lord. Progress was being made. And then came the 1888 message, which was showers of the final outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the beginning of the latter rain. And the message was also the beginning of the loud cry of the fourth angel's message in Revelation 18. God was leading the Seventh-day Adventist church to prepare a people of that generation for translation. In fact, this church was raised up to prepare a people, to not prepare a people to die and be resurrected, but to prepare a people to live and be translated when Jesus comes without seeing death. The same preponderance of leadership clout was evident in ancient Israel's experience at Kadesh Barnea, which we have been studying in the book of Numbers in our Sabbath school lessons, when they refused to go in to the promised land. There was Caleb and there was Joshua. They said that they were able to go up and to take the land. These were individuals, Caleb and Joshua, who believed the promise of God's everlasting covenant, and by faith in God's triumph, they would enter into the promised land. All the rest believed in their own selves, and they had nothing but their old covenant to thank for it, of unbelief. The mass of the people refused to enter in by faith into the land. And the Lord gave them an opportunity to repent. But when their rejection was decisive, He sent the nation back to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and the Lord has sent us back to wander now for over 120 years. But we must remember that the Lord at last did bring Israel into the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 26 through 28, Moses was pleading with the Lord by saying, O Lord God, do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on their wickedness or on their sin, lest the land for which you brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them to the land which he promised them and because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. And the lesson is for us. In this day of atonement, if the corporate, denominated Seventh-day Adventist church should fail, the Lord Jesus himself would be terribly embarrassed. The Lord in the universe would say that he was not, the world rather in the universe would say that he was not able to bring these people out of Babylon and prepare them for the coming of the Lord and going into the promised land. It's not our honor that is involved. Dear friends, the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, is at stake here. That's why we don't give up on the church. It's his body. It's his remnant. That's the bottom line. 
We don't leave the church and declare it Babylon. The honor of Jesus is at stake in this people and its ultimate repentance and triumph. I say that with all the earnestness of my heart. Should faithful souls abandon ship, or do we see a a brighter picture emerging? You know, Ellen White was repeatedly identified the Seventh-day Adventist Church as the remnant church, Revelation 12, 17, Revelation 14, verse 12. Furthermore, she calls it the bride-to-be. In Revelation 18, or pardon me, 19, verses 6 through 8, she likens the church to a ship. Now, is this ship doomed to sink like the Titanic? Or is it going to be taken over by a mutinous crew? Should faithful souls abandon the ship, jump into the cold water, all on their own? Will ever, every former passenger swim alone and cling to some wreckage into the kingdom? Is that how it's going to happen? Or do we see a brighter picture that emerges in prophecy? Could it be that every passenger who overcomes is going to be a crew member under the divine leadership of their captain and sail a tight ship into the harbor? You know, the story is told about a wood-burning ship that was blown off course by tempest winds, and the fuel gave out, so to keep the boiler going, the captain ordered that all of the furniture and the railings and the stairways to be thrown into the furnace. And finally, the ship sailed into the harbor. It was an empty shell of its former glory, but it did get through. Could this be what will happen to this church? Much of what we see as trappings of human pride may be disappearing, but the identity of the church will remain intact for the honor and for the glory of Christ, who brought the church as modern Israel out of Egypt from its early days. You know, the Lord called Abraham to make of his descendants a people who would be a blessing to every family on earth. And that promise to Abraham has been fulfilled in the Christian church. By studying the history of Abraham and Israel, we are encouraged to believe that all of the failures and the mistakes and the apostasies of ancient Israel and Judah must be overcome by the remnant church in these last days. And such overcoming will be possible only because of the work of our great high priest in his closing atonement in his most holy apartment. Then shall the sanctuary be cleansed, Daniel 8, 14. And it's impossible for the books of record in heaven to be cleansed of the record of the sins of God's people until, first of all, the hearts of his people are cleansed. And that cleansing of the heart is the repentance that Jesus is calling for from you individually and from me. Even in the days of Jesus, when the Jewish clergy and the priesthood were undeniably apostate, the Lord commended that widow who put her two mites into the temple treasury 
of the organized church of that day. Can you believe it? She supported the organized church when it was in an apostate situation, and Jesus commended her. She stuck with the ship. And we read in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16 that it was always Jesus' custom to attend worship services in the synagogue when? Every Sabbath day. Can you imagine what kind of sermons Jesus had to endure? They must have been terrible. Christless, messiahless. But he went to church no matter how terrible they were. He supported the church of his day. He tried to build it up. He tried to strengthen the people who were in the way. He made himself available. to. He didn't try to divert them from the church. He tried to build it up. And there are hurting people in all of our churches today. And if Jesus were in your place, he would help them Sabbath after Sabbath by a hopeful word here and an encouragement there. God has a plan for the Seventh-day Adventist church. In fact, we believe the church is the true spiritual Israel, modern Israel. And there is encouragement in remembering that. Frequently, there was deep apostasy in ancient Israel. You think about the days of Elijah. Again, you can think about Jeremiah's day. But these prophets didn't leave the church of that day and start new places of worship, although their efforts to bring revival and reformation seldom succeeded so far as they could see. The Lord was with them in their patient ministry of toil, and he's also with us today. God's plan is not for his people to give up in despair and leave the church to the ultimate control of the apostates. It is true, as Ellen White says, that, this is her direct quote, many will stand in our pulpits with the torch of false prophecy in their hands, kindled from the hellish torch of Satan. God's plan is that his people defend the truth, confront such false shepherds, and defeat apostasy. That's what it means to be a Protestant, to protest the paganizing of Christianity, of Adventism. Says the servant of the Lord in page 410 of Testimonies to Ministers, page, uh, Testimonies to Ministers 410, God himself will work for Israel. Angels' hands will overthrow the deceptive schemes that are being formed. The bulwarks of Satan will never triumph. All opposing elements will be defeated. If the Holy Spirit can be free to work, he will employ human agents in his work either to convert apostate leaders or, pa or pastors or to replace them with faithful shepherds who will care for the flock and who will feed them with the pure wheat. You know, in Jeremiah chapter 23 
in verse 1, the Lord's promise to do exactly that. He says, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Saith the Lord, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings. Saith the Lord, and I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them. We must have confidence in the Lord's promises to save his church. It's his body. And since he is the true head of his church, we must learn how to cooperate more closely with him in his cleansing and his reformatory purposes. All opposing elements, she says, will be defeated through his faithful people remaining in the church and opposing to their faces those who bear the hellish torch of Satan. You know, it is the most uh, easiest thing, it is the most cowardly thing to do is to abandon the church to apostasy. The easiest, the most cowardly thing to do is to abandon the church in apostasy and to gather up one's righteous robes about him and leave it. But if this is done, it'll turn 160 years of Adventist history, sacred history, up on its head and defeat the prophet of Revelation. In order for the Lord to be able to effect a reformation and a revival, he needs some faithful, disciplined, well-informed people through whom he can work. He needs you. There must be thousands of Elijahs who are motivated by the true Holy Spirit to work for Israel as he did rather than abandoning the nation. The Lord has given many assurances that he will work to refine and to purify and to cleanse the organized, denominated Seventh-day Adventist Church. Here is one quoted in Selected Messages, Volume 2, page 376. The church may appear as about to fall, but it does not fall. It remains. While the sinners in Zion will be sifted out, the chaff will be separated from the precious wheat. This is a terrible ordeal, but nevertheless it must take place. The great issue that is so near at hand will weed out those whom God has not appointed And he will have a pure, true, sanctified ministry prepared for the latter rain. And scripture is replete with the same encouragement. The prophet frequently rejoiced in the ultimate cleansing and the triumph of the organized church of Israel. Isaiah glories in Zion and Jerusalem, the holy city, experiencing such revival and reformation that henceforth, he says, there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and unclean. Now I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 60, which describes the glory that will lighten the earth just as the great fourth angel of Revelation 18 comes down to do his final work. Revelation or Isaiah, rather, chapter 60 and verse 1. Here we read, Arise, shine, for thy light is come. 
and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Amen. The city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel, this is the organized remnant church of these last days through which that glory is going to be revealed, which has established its identity before the world. And Jesus, look at Matthew 13, verse 41. Jesus predicts the final cleansing of his church, and he ties it in with this prophecy of Isaiah 60 as a bright future to be fulfilled before the close of probation. Let's read Jesus' words, Matthew 13, 41. It says, The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all the things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth, and then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. And Revelation, it pictures Laodicea, and there's nothing, it's not a dirty word. Laodicea means the judging of the people. It's not a bad word. Revelation pictures Laodicea as successful in overcoming, even as Christ overcame, so that the marriage of the Lamb can come when his wife hath made herself ready, according to Revelation 19 and verse 6. You know how the wife makes herself ready? Through heeding and responding to the invitation of Jesus to repent. To repent. The total triumph then of Christ over Satan. It's going to be demonstrated in the remnant church. The central theme of both the Old and the New Testaments is the grand success of Jesus' ministry in the Day of Atonement. It's his work. The second coming of Jesus is wonderful good news. But there is good news that must come to us first before that good news. There is to be a light that is going to blaze across the world. It's going to penetrate into the homes and into the marketplaces of both the poor and the rich. And since God is declared to be love, he cannot leave anyone out of seeing this light of the angel's message who's going to come down from heaven, having great power, it says, and the earth must be lightened with his glory, his agape. You know, light is something, always something that comes from heaven. It causes the gospel to shine. This light will be a message in which light is shining, and therefore it will be truth, for thy word is a light to my path, says the psalmist. That final revelation of light will therefore be the truth of God's word more clearly seen and spread out before the world than ever before. And the one spot in world history where the light of heaven shone the most brightly, folks, was the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross. It was there 
that heavenly love was most clearly demonstrated in its breadth, in its length, in its depth, in its height. It's a love that passes all knowledge. But how can, we, how can this ever happen in our, in our modern, materialistic, pleasure-loving, godless world, that light which will at last shine brightly? It's not going to be a message of terrorism. Not at all. The terror will come after the light's been fully rejected. The message will be a lifting up of the Savior who is crucified for the world. God will not scare people into his kingdom like you gather cattle from the roundup. The world's moment of truth will finally dawn for all mankind. The love revealed at the cross will corral every honest-hearted soul who will sense the constraint that is implicit in that love. A totally new motivation will prevail, not fear for one's own personal security, but a new concern, newly realized, that which a bride can know for the man whom at last she loves, Jesus. Forget thinking about the gospel as some kind of a static set of cold doctrines. Dear friends, it is an ever-growing, heart-moving experience of identifying with the Son of God. The cross is heart-melting so that it causes enemies and sinners to be friends with God. And that's the at-one-ment, the atonement. And it's not your work. It's the work of Jesus. Don't give up on the church. The bottom line is that the honor of Jesus as it's, is at stake in the final repentance and triumph of this denominated people, the Seventh-day Adventist church. No other reason. There's no way that God is going to start from scratch again. There's no way he's going to call up somebody else and start another movement like so many are thinking he's going to do with them. Who said that? Amen, brother, your heart beats with mine. If God had to start all over again with some new movement, how many more years would it take before he would come? This thing could go on indefinitely. God doesn't want to postpone this one more hour, one more day, then he must postpone it in order for his people to see and wake up and be ready. He doesn't want it to go on for another 120 years to get an infrastructure in place all over the world so it can be a missionary agency with institutions and evangelistic programs and offerings in place so it can support that kind of a work. He's already got that with the Adventist church. It's just a sleepy church. It's got a problem. It needs repentance, an injection of heavenly love in it. Don't give up on the church. Are you in it for the honor of Jesus? Then you're in it for the right reason. Join us again next time for the Word of God which will feed the soul. I am committed to bring you the fullness of the gospel 
as Jesus has revealed it to us in order to prepare a people for his soon coming. 